Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Is the Bill Press Show? Yeah, it was a great show in Singapore, but now everybody is asking, uh, "What really happened? <laughs> Anything? What do you say?" Hello, everybody. Can you believe it? It's a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 13. Great to see you today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the program here. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day and a good cast of characters to help us through understand what's going on on the summit front, what's going on on the human rights side of the equation with North Korea. Uh, Not much there at all. What's going on with immigration and the big debate on Capitol Hill, pardon me, and what happened yesterday in the big primaries, uh, a lot of primaries uh, across the uh, across the country, uh, here in uh, nearby Virginia, out in the state of Nevada, and a lot of states in between, with a good run for Democrats and a good run particularly for Democratic women. We'll bring you up to date on all of the above. Look forward to hearing from you as well. Uh, the you know how to do it. Go uh, online on YouTube. On t- <laughs> I say that on Twitter. Now on Twitter, send your comments on Twitter. Just like Donald Trump uses Twitter, you take. T- Boy, he's been tweeting all morning. On his way back from Singapore, he arrived just about an hour hour ago here in Washington D.C. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. For those of you that aren't watching, people aren't seeing, Bill, you still have your face paint on from the Capitals parade yesterday. God, that was what? By the way, bigger crowd than Donald Trump had at his inauguration. (laughs) That's absolutely true. Uh, Here's what it sounded like yesterday in Washington, D.C. Let's go, guys! 
Lots of let's go caps, lots of whistles, lots of buses, lots of hockey players, lots of drinking. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, the uh, Washington Post this morning, they call the caps the uh, almost sober. Yeah. Or not quite sober, or something A- like that. Alexander yeah. Ovechkin has not been sober no. since they won the cup six no. days ago. Yeah. Like right. every public appearance is him just completely out of his mind. Uh, Having so the time of his life, by the way. I, I was downtown yesterday and uh, took the metro downtown. Wow. And even coming back last night about 9 o'clock, sea of red everywhere. You're metro, a brave man. sea of red everywhere, everywhere. You yeah. are a brave man. But I wasn't man. near the parade route, just downtown. It's. I mean, it, yeah. everywhere you went yesterday, was, you saw people decked out in caps. It was. It was. Fans. It was, it, it was, it was a thing. By the way, so what do they call it? Rock the Ridge or something? Rock the Red. Rock, rock the Red. The, those are oh, colors. The red. Yeah, that's, yeah those I know colors. that's their color. I got so. it. Okay, yeah. Rock the Red. All right, have you ever been to a Sonic Drive-In? Sonic Drive-In <laughs> is, is solid road food, right? No, like I've driving, seen them, but I haven't them. been to one. Right. Well, they unveiled a new tasty treat that you could get this week. It is a pickle juice slushy. I'm not making this up. It's a bright green drink, and they do these slushes. It's like icy or whatever, and it's made with pickle juice. Uh, Would you drink that? Are you kidding? No. That's going to be a no for me, It's like a Slurpee. It's a slushy. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. But I mean, no. pickles. I like pickles, but I'm not going to drink. Food and Wine Magazine actually tried it and described it as sweet and tangy, which... Make, makes sense. Uh, they said that their only real complaint is that the slushy is too sweet. And Sonic is doubling down on this. They actually said that they're letting customers add a squirt of pickle juice syrup to any of their drinks. So if you want a Coke with pickle juice, you could do that. I- Drinking pickle juice is a thing. I'm not necessarily on board with it. Uh, I'm not sure how much money they spent researching <laughs> this new product. Yeah. But I, I'd go away from the pickle juice thing. <laughs> I- this is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump is calling it a huge success. A lot of other people are calling it a big nothing burger. It's a great show, but what was really accomplished? Uh, Not much. (laughs) What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is great to see you on this Wednesday. This Wednesday, June 13. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, which was delirious. With Cap fans yesterday, huge, huge, big outpouring of fans. Much bigger crowd than Donald Trump had at his inauguration. Uh, coming all the way up Constitution Avenue in a big parade uh, with that sea of red and ending up in a wild celebration on the Capitol Mall. It was, again, good for Washington, D.C., just like the night the Caps won the championship. Uh, there was no looting. There was no violence. There were no police cars set on fire. It was just a great big party. Not one arrest yesterday. Not one. Not one arrest. Not one Which arrest. is unheard of for in, these types of things. In any city on the planet, right? Yeah. Uh, because fans tend to get, <laughs> you know, a little out of the way, a little unruly. But here it was all peaceful and all celebration and great, great, great fun uh, I, I, I did not go down to the parade. I'm not that crazy. I didn't want to get caught in that mob. 
Uh, but just being in town, the sea of red uh, on the metro, on the streets, on the street corners, in the restaurants, it was uh, it was a great big citywide celebration uh, yesterday. And here we are now with all the news of the day. Yes, indeed, the big stories of the day. Uh, a lot of people taking a second look at this summit with a big uh, raised eyebrow about, okay, now what happens and what really happened? The Trump administration discussed a little bit yesterday, more today, cracking down on asylum, saying we don't care if you're a victim of domestic abuse or gang violence. Uh-uh, you're going to be treated like a criminal here. And if you come here and utter the words asylum, we're just going to turn you around and kick you in the ass and boot you back south of the border. Mark Sanford. Yeah, remember him of the famous uh, Appalachian Trail? He was one of the, not very wild, but a clear critic of uh, President Trump in the, con- in the Congress as a Republican congressman. Uh, Donald Trump took him on yesterday in his primary, and Mark Sanford lost to a Trumper down in uh, down in South Carolina. This was really fascinating to watch play out because Trump didn't send out his his tweet supporting uh, uh, Sanford's challenger, Katie cool. Arrington, until I think it was like four thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the polls yeah. closed at eight. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. he hadn't voiced any. Like support for Katie Arrington at all? Not at all. Right, right. So obviously Trump did not, in the last three hours, decide the race. It was kind of going her way anyhow. But he jumped on board, and Mark Sanford uh, will have lots of time to hike the Appalachian Trail now. Well, people people were pointing out out of office. Yeah, he threw in a ton of money right there at the end, which had a lot of people going, "Oh boy, he clearly is worried." Yeah. Uh but like, look, this is it's the the fascinating thing to me here is she could not have run closer with Trump, Katie Arrington. I mean, she just, she came out yesterday and said, you know, we are we got the, a little we yeah. got a little clip of yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, here she is yeah. yesterday. We are the party of President Donald J. Trump. Yeah. She's on the Trump train. She's on the fully. Trump train. And by the way, uh, just while we're there, um, in Virginia. Uh, a guy named Corey Stewart, who is a he, he's he was Trump before Trump was Trump. Uh, he's as far Trump as you can get. He ran in the primary uh, against uh, Ed Gillespie, who ended up being the Republican nominee for governor. Gillespie, very much an establishment Republican, but who got a little Trumpy himself in the general election because he felt that he had to. But Ed has been, you know, head of the RNC, White House. I mean, he's a classic establishment Republican. And Corey Stewart was out there as extreme as you could get. He almost beat Ed Gillespie in the primary. And he won yesterday to be the Republican nominee for Senate against Tim Kaine, who is about as establishment Democrat as you can get. Uh, uh, good man, by the way, and uh, very, very strong on the issue of that we need a new authorization for the use of military force. Uh, he was a big critic of President Obama for using the AUMF to launch new wars in uh, new military action, at least in Libya and in Syria and other places, using that old 2001 uh, AUMF. Uh, but at any rate, it'll be Corey Stewart, extremist in Virginia, uh, and this extremist, Katie uh, Arrington, in, um, in South Carolina, 
for running for Mark Sanford seat. Uh, so lots and lots, lots going on. By the way, one other uh, big story, uh, at least we'll mention it, is, uh, well, let's get that out of the way, too, right now. In California, there will be a special ballot measure uh, in November on the ballot to split California into three states. I, I was hoping you were going to talk about this. Uh, Northern California, which would be sort of like from the Bay Area, maybe down to Santa Clara County, north up to the Oregon border, and then a new state that would be Northern California, then a new state just called California, which it's interesting how they divided this up. I wouldn't have done it this way, but it's the central coast of California. So it's sort of like uh, Santa Cruz down to Monterey, Carmel, Big Sur, down to Santa Barbara. Uh, by the way, spectacularly beautiful part of California. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you haven't driven a Highway 1 up that coast, uh, you haven't lived. And then Southern California, which would be the southern half of the Central Valley, and then all the way down, wrapping around that new state of California, and then picking up uh, Ventura County, L.A. County, Orange County, and San Diego. Uh, it's an absolutely colossally stupid idea. I hereby oppose it and will vote against it. Many times, if I can. What, what's the push behind this? Is this a push from, like, Republicans that don't feel like they're being well-represented enough in such a blue state? Or what? It's a push Why? Be- it's a push behind a guy that has too much money yeah. and, and is just a nut. Yeah. And he was able sense. to get it on the ballot and get enough signatures. You can almost get anything on the ballot in California. Yeah. <laughs> if you have enough money to pay signature gatherers, you can, you, you can do it. I led an initiative campaign in California. By the way, the last one... The initiative campaign that I led was the very last one that was done with all volunteer signatures. Uh, it was a measure to tax the excess profits of oil companies and put that into mass transit, a worthy venture, if I must uh, say myself. Uh, but the oil companies pumped in an awful lot of money against us, uh, and we lost. This is not the first uh, uh, attempt or first even talk about dividing California in more than one state. Um, they're way back when I was working with uh, Jerry Brown in California, uh, in Sacramento, uh, we all had to read a little book called Ecotopia, which was about a novel, uh, about California breaking off from the rest of the country and forming with Washington, Oregon, and Northern California, a new environmental, uh, sort of. Uh, wonderland called Ecotopia, way ahead of its time. And uh, and now that is, by the way, probably the bluest and the most environmental friendly part of the country, yeah. but it's not its own country. So, so, <laughs> so this is not going to happen. This is, is not going to happen. Okay, no, yeah. No, this is not going to happen. Just want to make sure. California is a great state. It's the largest state. It's a great state. It's got a great economy. Jerry Brown's leaving it with a $5 billion rainy day surplus. The state is working, it is booming. Uh, and um, there's no need to <laughs> split it up, and it won't happen. It's going great. Let's screw it all up. <laughs> uh, exactly. Meanwhile, back to, yes, indeed, uh, the summit. Everybody's taking another look at this. So, you know, you got to say, first of all, that Donald Trump is one. He is an incredibly gifted uh, TV producer, right? He is a master showman and salesman. Uh, this is P.T. Barnum worthy. This, this summit in Singapore, the whole 
it, it made it a little unnerving when you see the American flag right alongside the North Korean flag. Yeah, you mean we're really like equal partners? But the way they staged it and Trump coming in from the right and Kim Jong-un from the left and they do the big handshake and do the big smile. They take, pardon me, they take a little walk together. Donald Trump even shows Kim Jong-un the beast, his big, his car, right? He promises him the best hotels in the world. They have this lunch, which is half American food, half North Korean food. It was, Hollywood could not have put on a better show. And that's what it was. It was a great show. Uh, But when you look at it, okay, now let's say, okay, now the, the smoke is cleared. The euphoria is starting to dissipate a little bit more. The champagne's gotten stale. So like what? really happened? And the real answer is nothing. Nothing really happened. Yeah. There was a, not to be totally negative, there was a meeting and that was good. Okay. They did meet and that was good. They did agree to start a process which might ultimately lead to denuclearization, whatever that means. And that was good. But other than that, Really nothing. The statement, okay, first of all, what, what, did, what, what do we see? We see a very vague statement, okay? I, I want to read just, this is the communique. This is what they signed, okay? One sentence, quote, President Trump committed to provide security guarantees to the DPRK and Chairman Kim Jong-un reaffirmed his firm and unwavering commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The key word there is reaffirmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if he were reaffirming, how come he was doing building all these nukes in the first place? Why are we even having this summit? Yeah. And why was he shooting off all these missiles, you know, to show that they could reach the United States? if he's reaffirming his intention. But anyhow, my point is, that, that's it. That's a communique. Now, this is sort of like eerily familiar. Uh, front page of today's New York Times. Uh, this is not the first time that we've been down this road, okay? We've seen this movie before. October 22nd, 1994. Kim Il-sung granddaddy of Kim Jong-un. North Korea signs an agreement with the United States to freeze its nuclear activities. Yeah. Uh, How did that work out? All right. Jump forward 10 more years. Kim Jong-il, daddy of Kim Jong-un. September 19, 2005. United States, North Korea, and four other countries sign an agreement in which the North Promises to abandon efforts to produce produce nuclear weapon systems. Oh, how did that work out? Now, we jump forward 13 years to June 12, 2018. Kim Jong-un reaffirms his unwavering commitment to get rid of nuclear weapons, which, again, they signed 24 years ago and have been building nukes ever since to the point where today say they've got 40 to 60 of them. So uh, let's just have a little note of realism here, okay? So 
What then, other than that bland statement, did we really see? We saw on the part of the United States, Donald Trump, without consulting South Korea, without consulting China, without consulting the Pentagon, <laughs> promise that he was going to, we're not going to have any more war games. No more of these military, they call them war games. I call them war games. I, no more of these military exercises, joint mili- military exercises with South Korea, which we have every year. Send a, send a fleet over, do the bombers and all those runs and everything to make sure we're military ready in case something happened. We're going to drop those. T- Donald Trump unilaterally said, no more of those games, which is a big deal. So that's what North Korea really wanted. Yeah, I, I didn't really think about it until now, which shame on me. But, like, of course he didn't. Of course he didn't consult anybody. No. You oh. would think that the Pentagon would have a say in this matter. Well, they've had a say since, saying, mm, <laughs> news to us. Yeah. Nobody told us. Wow. Uh, so, and, and anyway, right. we gave that up. What did they give up? Again, we keep looking, okay? Uh, there was there was nothing. Here's what. Nothing in this agreement, no details about when they would start, um, by the way, tearing down their centrifuges, getting rid of those, which Iran did, uh, when they would give us a full account of how many nuclear weapons they have or how many missiles they have or how many conventional weapons they have. None of that. No timetable for when they would start destroying their nukes. None, nothing at all. Uh, in addition to that, there was nothing about when they would stop sponsoring terrorism around the world, which they have and which they do. They're still listed as a state sponsor of terrorism. No mention of that. No mention of what they might do about human rights with some estimated 125,000 people in labor camps, detention camps, hard labor prison camps, or gulags, as they're called. Um, North Korea today rated by all the human rights organizations the cruelest um, nation on earth, uh, comparing it to the days of Stalin and the gulags in Siberia. Um, And this is North Korea. No mention of that, other than Donald Trump said, uh, yeah, it's rough over there, uh, but, you know, it's rough in a lot of places. So what the hell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about all we got on the, hum- on the human rights on the human rights side. So basically, you got to look at it. Um, we didn't get much. We didn't get much, again, other than that one meeting. Um, and, and Jay Tapper made this point on CNN. Yes, Donald Trump is the first American president to meet with the leader of North Korea in modern times. Um, But, you know, it's not necessarily that they could not do it. It's more the case they didn't want to. Yeah. They didn't want to because they didn't trust him, because they hadn't gotten any pledges or any promises of any real substantive change before they would meet. So they knew it would just be a photo op. And because they have such a horrific record uh, on human rights. So um, other than they had a meeting and they had a good show, not a lot to come out of. Okay? I still remember. Now I- the process, let's just finish it. The process goes forward. And let's all hope that the process is immensely, that he fools us. 
Pampasa is, is immensely successful, and they tear down all their nukes, and there are no more nukes on the nuclear on the Korean Peninsula. Yeah. God bless America. <laughs> but to believe that that's going to happen, really, <laughs> is to believe that Donald Trump knows what he's doing, and I don't believe that for a second. No. No, but, I mean, you know, to, to that point, I still remember when Bill Clinton went over there when there was a, a, a prisoner prison, situation, yeah. and he went over there and lobbied to get this this prisoner free. And I remember when the pictures came out afterwards of Bill Clinton meeting, this was Kim Jong-il, uh... Bill Clinton was totally stone-faced, not smiling, not grinning, because that's what North Korea wants. They want that legitimacy. They want a someone with the power of an American president sh- saying, like, this is our friend. This is our ally. This is our buddy. They're okay. They're doing good things. You can trust them. Yeah. And right. Bill Clinton wouldn't give it to him. Because, again, it's not that hard getting the meeting. It's what happens during the meeting or afterward that, that like really matters. And so he knew that just smiling for the camera with Kim Jong-il would have been not a disaster, but it would have given them what they wanted. And Donald Trump says this time it's going to be different because he has such a bond. They, they form such a bond in the first minute. And he's such a good man, and he's got such good feelings about him. This time Donald Trump says, says it is going to be different no reason uh, no reason to believe that but imagine also the propaganda value that Kim Jong-un will make out of this in North Korea be able to make out of this there he is you got the North Korean flag and the American flag side by side you got the leader the chairman of North Korea and the president of the United States appearing on stage as equals with equal pomp equal respect equal attention I mean we have made this despot, this murderer, this mass murderer into a world leader. We've made him that. And what do we get for it? Nothing. Uh, and the propaganda that Donald Trump will get out of this, too. You know this, the, the photos and the video of that, uh, of that Donald Trump at this summit will be the centerpiece of every campaign in 2018 from now on and every campaign and, and Donald Trump's reelection campaign in 2020. He's the one who brought world peace. He already put some uh, some oh, some video up on Twitter, right? It's like a, a video of a montage of all the the highlights from it, and he's he's got that up there already. Yeah. Well, he uh, <laughs> he also, as part of the showmanship, had a little video of him and Kim Jong Un as superheroes. He had this, and he showed this to Kim Jong Un on his laptop saying, here's what you could be. Here's what your country could be. And it showed North Korea. I haven't seen the video, but I heard that it was described in several news stories. And the video shows North Korea with high rises being built and people out on the beach and people out for picnics and all these very happy people. And they're all praising Kim Jong-un for his leadership. And this is what you could have, buddy. Yeah. I um, I have some tweets. Uh I have some tweets uh, from he, Donald Trump. From Donald Trump, yeah, he he oh. tweeted about an hour ago. Just landed, a long trip, but everybody can now feel much safer than the day I took office. There is no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea, which is well, you just, by the you way, just pointed out. Yes, <laughs> there is. Yeah, there's absolutely what, a nuclear they, threat. They, from they have as they have as many nukes today as they had a week ago. Yeah, um, they have not stopped building them. 
so far as we know, right? They haven't started dismantling them. Uh, they could launch one tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, he goes on in the tweet saying, meeting with Kim Jong-un was an interesting and very positive experience. North Korea has great potential for the future. And then, this is so Trumpy. Before taking office, people were assuming that we were going to war with North Korea. President Obama Why? said. Because he said we yeah, were. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, He's yeah. the one that said we were going to essentially start a nuclear war with North Korea. Uh, he goes on. President Obama said that North Korea was our biggest and most dangerous problem. No longer. Sleep well tonight. <laughs> and then one final tweet he just tweeted about 15 minutes ago. We save a fortune by not doing war games as long as we are negotiating in good faith, which both sides are. Those are the tweets from our very normal president. <laughs> Who arrived uh, at uh, Andrews Air Force Base at 5.50 a.m. Uh, East Coast time. Uh, with a little weather problem, they had to uh, motor into the White House, uh, apparently, not take the um, not take Marine One into the White House. Uh, there was some reaction on the uh, international front as well to the summit. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Democratic leader in the Senate yesterday, uh, expressed a, a word of uh, caution. While we're relieved that they're no longer calling each other names, we are worried that... These kinds of things, which are needed for America's safety, are not happening. Yeah, right. Uh, we don't see we don't see the clear sign of results. Uh, the same cautious approach was reflected, was stated yesterday by Malcolm Turnbull, the Prime Minister uh, of Australia. We welcome it cautiously, naturally. There have been many disappointments uh, along the road to denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. It clearly hasn't occurred. No, hasn't occurred. And so, again, we cautiously hope it will this time, but let's not uh, pop the champagne corks until uh, it does. Meanwhile, remember, the summit has overshadowed in many ways what happened just before the summit when the president really blew up and trashed the G7 summit in uh, Canada. Uh, There's still repercussions to that, particularly because of his harsh language toward Prime Minister Trudeau and to a lesser extent, Emmanuel Macron of France. Uh, and so in the Senate, there's at least one voice, a Bob Corker from Tennessee, who is retiring, saying, come on, we should not be in a trade war. We should not be slapping, the president should not be unilaterally slapping tariffs on our friends and allies and triggering uh, a trade war. And yet Bob Corker admits he's getting some pushback from his fellow Republicans, they're, they agree with him, but they're afraid to do anything. They're afraid to support the legislation he's put out there because they're afraid they might piss off Donald Trump or upset Donald Trump. This is the Mark Stanford syndrome, right? You don't dare make Donald Trump unhappy or he'll come out and get you. Here's Bob Corker on the floor of the Senate yesterday. We're worried somehow that this, gosh almighty, somebody may, I heard Senator, Senator from Texas, the senior senator from Texas saying the other day, well, gosh, we might upset the president. Oh, my. Let's, God, we, how can we do that? We Good can't, gosh almighty. We can't upset the president. <laughs> yeah, we might even, to put it in a phrase, 
We might poke the bear. It's a language <laughs> I've been hearing in the hallways. We, we might poke the bear. The president might get upset with us as United States senators if we vote on the Corker Amendment. So we're going to do everything we can to block it. Oh, my God. Lordy, Thank Lordy. Gosh almighty. Thank God almighty. Right. Poke the bear. Can't do that. Uh-uh. We might poke the bear. You know what? I'm telling you, Trump has taken over the Republican Party. That, that woman from South Carolina said it best. We are now the party of Donald J. Trump. Very important article about the whole summit in Politico this morning. Uh, when it comes to human rights, what the hell? Author of that article, Nahal Tuzi from Politico, joins us next here in the studio. Uh, your comments again. Get him in on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, look at you. You're looking good today here on this Wednesday, June 13. Hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where you find us right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill and our studio here where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. We love those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, who year in, year out, day in, day out, uh, keep our federal agencies running all across the country, uh, serving the American public, proud to get up and work for America every day, as they say. I salute them and thank them for their support of the uh, program. And welcome uh, to the table here, Nahal Tuzi from Politico, who's been tracking the summit, particularly uh, some of the uh, human rights uh, issues that didn't really come up at the summit. <laughs> Hi, Nahal. It's nice to see you. Great to be here. Um, we have been at it for a while, generating some comments from our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. Uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Matthew Naughton saying, with respect to the June 12th summit, to quote Elton John, if you think you could fool me, well, I've seen that movie, too. <laughs> Pretty good comment there. Or as George Bush would say, fool me twice. Exactly. Shame, shame on, on me, shame on whatever. Shame, you on, <laughs> shame on you. Uh, yes, our well. friend KG says, Trump managed to desecrate the American flag by staging it with the flag of a murderous dictator. There is that. Which is something that I said yesterday. I mean, look, the way that they had the American flag side by side with the North Korean flag, Whenever Donald Trump whines and complains and carries on about these NFL players disrespecting the American flag, what they're doing is not even remotely close to compare, like putting us on the same level as a murderous dictator. I saw that uh, Wendy Sherman, whom I uh, have a lot of respect for, former Deputy Secretary of State under Madeleine Albright, uh, made that comment yesterday. She said it was a little jarring to her, and she's traveled around the world with the Secretary of State to see the North Korean flag and the American flag, you know, equal. That right? really freaked e- me. I was equal status, equal yeah. billing, equal. Yeah, somebody should have seen that and said no. Also, one other comment: uh, uh, Why do people think Donald Trump is so tough? He's a pincushion when he meets these other leaders, hugs, kisses, over the top praises for literal dictators. Probably even, well, I'm not going to read the rest of that comment. Uh, but find, find, <laughs> I, should read, uh-huh. I should read these, I should read these better before I start. Into, uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll take your comments there uh, and read them on air. Yeah. Uh, so, Nahal Tuzi here, I was uh, uh, looking at the Politico this morning, and one thing that caught my attention was the lead story. Um, 
roughly the headline is human rights. What the hell? Uh, and uh, I see that was the author of that story. Now, how to see here uh, in the studio with us. It didn't really get any attention at all, did it? Uh, it didn't get the attention well, for, uh, that people hoped that yeah, it would get. Right. Uh, and tell us about the human rights record of North Korea. Well, you know, people describe North Korea's human rights atrocities as unparalleled in the modern world. It's reminiscent of the Nazis, of the Soviet Union under Stalin. We're talking tens of thousands of people in gulags, uh, essentially slavery, uh, you know, group punishment. Like if one member of a family does something that is viewed as a crime in North Korea, the entire family gets punished. Uh, you know, we're talking about executions and, and, and just... Uh, there's basically no tolerance for dissent in that country of any kind, political, religious, whatever. You're not allowed to think. Uh, it's it's very much like a big brother type of situation from everything that we know here on, on the outside. Right. And uh, this is a man who ordered the um, murder of his uncle, right, because he thought he was not sufficiently loyal, I guess. He executed his uncle, yeah, apparently I, I, with anti-aircraft guns. Oh, uh, that'll do it. Yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah, then you're gonna do he, the job. Make sure you're going to do it. He also ordered the murder of his half brother. Yes, the assassination of his half brother <laughs> with a nerve agent. Uh, thrown in his face in an air- airport in Singapore. Malaysia. Wasn't it? Malaysia. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, and, well, and that wasn't not, that long ago either. No. No. It wasn't. No. No. And it was only like how long ago that. Otto Wambier comes... A year ago today. Today? Correct. He comes Otto back. Wambier is given back to his family in the United States. This is an American who has been tortured and whatever. He was a, imprisoned in North Korea for over a year. 22-year-old University of Virginia student. Right. Um, he was visiting North Korea on one of those very rare trips that Americans can take there. And he was arrested, accused of trying to steal a propaganda sign from his hotel and, you know, he was imprisoned. And then when he was given back after a lot of negotiations, he came back in a coma and he died a few days later. And Donald Trump made a big deal of this at the time, condemning North Korea for this, right? Correct. He condemned yeah. North Korea's brutality. He said they have no common decency. And then as he was apparently very personally upset by what happened to this young American. And over the next few months, he <laughs> called uh, Kim Jong-un a madman, you know, who quote, doesn't mind starving or killing his own people. Uh, you know, the rhetoric was really, really bad. I mean, the thing about what's really interesting about it is, you know, Trump normally does not make human rights a priority in his administration. But North Korea is one of the few exceptions. He'll hammer North Korea, or he has in the past, on human rights. Uh, and there's a couple other countries, uh, Venezuela to some extent, but also Iran. So when he sees a country that is an adversary officially in his eyes, he'll go after them on human rights. Other countries that are not adversaries or, you know, our our allies or partners or whatever, uh, silence. All right. So flash forward in Singapore, he he was over the top praise for uh, Kim Jong-un. Very, he's very smart. He's very talented. He's a great negotiator. Very funny. His people, he's very funny. His people love him. And he loves his people. And he loves his people. Yes. Right. Right. So... What did Kim Jong-un do in the meantime to merit this kind of praise? Look, you, you can look at it from a very, you know, logist or kind of perspective of 
realism and say, look, he wants Trump wanted to strike some sort of a deal with Kim Jong Un, slamming him, continuing to slam him, slam him on anything, including human rights, was not going to bring him to the table. It might have offended him. Uh, and so on that level, you could say that he was just being practical, the president was. But the frustration that a lot of human rights activists had, and a lot of these human rights activists and lawmakers support diplomacy. They, they're they glad that the U.S. is talking to North Korea. But their frustration was Trump didn't have to go so over the board uh, with this. Mm-hmm. He, he was like over the top. He uh, went so far, it seemed like he almost normalized or legitimized Kim's role to begin with. And they were like, you didn't have to do that. You could have just not said anything. Uh, but instead, Trump... Uh, said all these nice things. And he even, when he was pressed on this, he even said that, look, the guy, this is how he's known how to rule because this is the way he's seen his father rule, the way he's seen his grandfather rule. He's rough, but he's going to change. So Trump believes that Kim is going to change the way he rules. And so when someone asked Trump, these 100,000 people who are in gulags in North Korea, do you feel like you betrayed them by talking to Kim? And actually, these people need to look at the long term because in the long term, this is going to change. Things are going to get better. Well, he actually, wait, he, he even went so far as to say that those people in the gulags today, mm-hmm. right, in slave labor today, because of, because they, of some political dissent, that's the only crime they committed, right, probably expressed some dislike or dissatisfaction with Kim Jong-un or the government. But he said these people, he called them the big winners of the summit. It, he used that <laughs> phrase. They're the big winners, actually. Um, it How was... so? Are they free today? Yeah. And Do they get is... a little more gruel today than they got yesterday? And what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people who study this stuff say Trump should have used this opportunity to ask him to make at least one or two concessions on the human rights front. Perhaps letting the U.N. Uh, have access to the prisons to see the conditions, talk to the people who are held there. Uh, perhaps doing taking some step to let North and South Korean fam- families who have been uh, separated by the war have some reunification opportunities. Uh, but he didn't really do anything. Now, Trump said he did mention human rights in his conversation with Kim. He says he did? He did. He, they, they, he raised it, but he acknowledges it was brief. Yeah. And there's no sign that Kim made any concessions I, whatsoever. I, I'm trying really hard to stifle he, laughter in here. Oh, yeah. And, and like, yeah. I, I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. Like, there are a lot of things that he could have done. But is Donald Trump going to rely on the U.N. to inspect the prisons? I mean, there's or no... is he going to say anything tough himself when he's face to face? He doesn't. There's no whoever glory that, for whoever him. That, that tweet was a little earlier. He's yeah. a pussycat when he gets in front of these people. Yeah. And there's also Went to Mexico. He didn't even talk yeah, about the, the price of the wall. Yeah. <laughs> No, there's it, Donald Trump is in this for Donald Trump. He's in this for the glory of Donald Trump. And to turn over some sort of responsibility of having this work out and be successful and maybe, like, share some of the, like, together we got this done, it's not going to happen. Wow. Aren't there more American prisoners in North Korea or— not that we know of. Okay. We know that— Japanese? Uh, there are abductees. This is The Japanese believe—our understanding is there are still— um, at least 17, I think it is, Japanese uh, men and women who were abducted in the years past by the North Koreans. What they would do, the North Koreans would abduct these people and they would basically uh, use them to teach their people Japanese or whatever. They had a variety of reasons oh. that they would take these people. Hmm. So, And this is for Japan, a U.S. ally, very, very sensitive issue. They wanted Trump to bring this up, say, find a way to get these people back home. 
Uh, there's no sign that Trump did that. There was some discussion, apparently. I guess the one specific detail in the final communique was uh, the, on the POW MIA issue, that, that they would work, both countries would work together to get the remains of American uh, soldiers, uh, soldiers yeah. back, right? Right. Uh, and this is something... Which is good. I mean, that's that's good. But has that been going on for a long time? It or? went on uh, for several years in the 90s and the early 2000s. So the U- U.S. did actually work with North Koreans to get the remains back. Uh, that was before Kim Jong-un's rule, and uh, it was stopped because uh, there were some security concerns. I'm not entirely mm. sure with mm-hmm. which uh, which concerns, but there are several thousand, I believe five or 6,000 um, U.S. troops whose remains are believed to be uh, either, they either went missing or they are believed to have been killed. Really? Yeah. Still I mean, today. that was really astonishing yeah. when I read that. Um, I did not know there were that many, so I was yeah. like... Um, but oh, yeah, it's, just, it's a very important issue. It is. It is. But it's interesting, too, because it was one of the few very concrete yeah, yeah. parts of the communique. Right. Um, from what I remember, they didn't really put a time frame on when that would happen. Uh, and again, it's something that North Korea has agreed to in the past. But that was one of the few so, things. And apparently a lot of veterans groups really, really pushed this on the White House. They were like, please, please make this happen. So um, we've seen this movie before in many ways. Um Going from the front page of the New York Times today, uh, October 22nd, 1994, uh, we signed an agreement with North Korea. The agreed framework. Right, where they um, agreed to uh, freeze all nuclear activities. Uh, Flash forward, that was the grandfather of Kim Jong-un. Flash forward to the father of Kim Jong-un, September 19, 2005, the U.S., North Korea, and four other nations signed an agreement where North Korea promised that they would going to abandon their efforts to produce nuclear weapons. And now we go to June 12, 2018, where Kim Jong-un reaffirms <laughs> uh, his intention to get rid of all nuclear weapons. Why do we think it's going to be any different this time than it was the last two times? I do not see any reason uh, that's very concrete that it will be any different. I mean, to me, it seems like Kim... Largely got what he wanted. He really didn't give any concessions. He agreed to, quote, complete denuclearization. But again, you know, that means something very different to North Korea than it does to the U.S. You notice one thing. They did not define what denuclearization no. means in this communique. Exactly. They've right. never, even when you ask Trump administration officials, they just won't tell you what on earth they mean by that. And the other thing is the Trump administration officials have long been saying another phrase. They've been saying Complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization. Right. It's such yeah. a common phrase that there's a people call it CVID, right? They use the <laughs> acronym. And yet this communique did not contain complete, that phrase. It, it, what is it? Complete, complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization. Complete, verifiable, irreversible, irreversible denuclearization. Denuclearization. In some areas, that. they use dismantlement instead of denuclearization, but okay. you know, it's right. But this that phrase did not appear in this communique, and that was really startling to me because that is the one thing that the U.S., without defining it, has nonetheless been very assist- insistent about. Uh, and yet, it just said complete denuclearization, which didn't really mean much in the right. The uh, so, um, when I I, I, I want to be careful because I think we would be unrealistic to expect everything to have happened at one meeting. 
It, it just there was no way it was all going to happen. Well, Even me, Donald Trump. Okay, let me let, let me be a little bit of a contrarian on this. On the one hand, Trump and Kim turned this process upside down, right? Usually you have a lot of right. meetings beforehand, lower level aides. Ultimately, at the end of the process, the heads of state get together. It's bottom sign up, it. bottom up. Right. This is top down. Right. So in a sense, you know, they did flip it. So you wouldn't. Right. There's no guarantee you would have a main comprehensive thing. But the other problem with that argument is that look, the U.S. has had this issue with North Korea for decades. We this has not this is not a new thing, right? We have career diplomats who have spent their entire careers working on this issue. We should have had, frankly, you know, a, a comprehensive agreement in a box that we could have pulled out and said, these are all the things that we want and these are the things that we are prepared to do. And I don't know if the Trump administration even really thought, you know, talked to the career experts. Who oh, have been experts. I, oh, I think it's know. pretty clear they did not. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, saying that, you know, we couldn't have gotten details at this stage is ridiculous. Right, we had decades right. to, yeah, like, come yeah. up with the details. No, so. that, no, that's an excellent point. And, but, and I'm sure they did not because some of them were affiliated with the Obama administration or even the George W. Bush administration. And for Donald Trump, all those people are suspect, right? I mean, yeah, there is that suspicion of the career diplomats. But again, it, it, it's it's also just simply a matter of like, you don't have to start from scratch on a lot of these things. And sometimes you get the sense that this administration feels like it has to start from scratch on everything. Well, because, yeah, Donald Trump's different, better than anybody else. But, you know, he says that the reason this will be different, he said it this, this morning, I saw again, is because he has this special bond one-on-one bond with his new, you know, best bud. You know what, though? Let's let's not dismiss that completely out of hand. You know, Kim Jong-un, frankly, compared to his dad or his grandfather, much less known character in the United States. It is possible that he really does want to be different. I mean, look, this guy has now seen uh, Singapore and he's seen what North Korea could be like. And maybe... Maybe there is this bond. I don't want to completely rule out that possibility. But you got to remember things, something else. He has different interests than Donald Trump. Kim's number one priority is making sure his regime survives. And he is going to outlast this president unless something, you know, that is completely unexpected happens. So he's thinking very long term. Trump is probably thinking... Much less long term. And even if he was thinking for another six years, Kim is probably going to be there longer than Trump. So the idea that he would simply give up his nuclear weapons. Uh. Yeah, you, you said something interesting, uh, a lot interesting. But one thing that caught my is that there we should have had a plan for denuclearization in the box that we could have just taken out and dusted off. Isn't that what the Iran nuclear deal is? <laughs> so, I mean, couldn't we just have left that in place and then said, okay, it's working here? Maybe not perfect, but it's working here. Let's do the same thing with North Korea. Well, there are some Starting significant differences. Starting with getting rid of the centrifuges. <laughs> there are some significant differences. I mean, North Korea has nuclear weapons. Iran did not. True. North Good Korea point. has way, way more sites than Iran does. Many of North Korea's they sites really are do. believed so to be underground, yeah. which are harder yeah. to get to. We don't. There's a lot of things that we don't know about North Korea's nuclear right. program. By the way, we didn't know them before uh, Trump, Singapore, either. and we don't know them today. Right. Correct. We don't. We know didn't them find now. out any of that. I mean, not that we have been been told publicly. Um, 
And so, look, the Iran deal could have been used as a model to work off of and say, look, we have this and we can yeah. build on it and we can do these things differently. Uh, it was, despite Trump's disparagement of the Iran deal, it was really a very sophisticated nonproliferation agreement. And it had a lot of very intrusive verification measures. Uh, we don't have anything like that, you know, that we've that they've produced for us to see with North Korea just yet. But, you know, Trump did mention and this is the thing that got me. He talks in his press conference about things that he says they agreed to that weren't in the communique, like apparently missile testing is going to stop or they're going to destroy some sort of a missile engine site that the U.S. is aware of. And Trump says in this press conference, well, I asked him to do that. And Kim said he'll do it. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't you put that in writing then? And this is this is the thing. I, I think there's a lot more than than we know what that's in the communique. But I also don't understand why they couldn't put it in the communique. Uh, and that's a little bit startling to me. I think the answer is because it really didn't happen, didn't exist, or wasn't really agreed upon. Uh, but I wish I could talk to Kim. I mean, I really wish, you know, in my fantasy, Kim would have given a press conference and told us his side of things, but that's not how they do things in his country. It appears there was some, uh, Donald Trump kept um, ahead of time assuring him that we've got your back, you know, um, we're going to give you security guarantees because there was sort of the feeling that he, Kim Jong-un, might be, his his leadership might be in jeopardy by having this summit, that the hardliners inside of North Korea might even depose him while he was out of the country. It seems that he's pretty secure in his leadership from from all, at least all outward signs. What do we know? Well, there right? were reports that before he came to the summit that he did a shakeup with his military aides and that three people were ousted and some others were promoted. So that was a sign perhaps that he was trying to make sure everyone was loyal to him before he came to Singapore. When I when you talk to different people who've been to North Korea or analyze it or whatever, they have somewhat different takes on how secure Kim really is in mm-hmm. power. Um, I mean, there have been some who suggest that he really is not as secure as many believe and others who say, no, he is firmly in control. It kind of goes to show that there's so much we don't really understand about North Korea and so much we have to learn. Uh, But that being said, I think there's no question that having nuclear weapons is something that Kim views as key to his regime's survival. Um, And so that's the big thing is why would he give them up? Uh, I just I'm still struggling to believe that. So when President Trump says there's no nuclear threat anymore from North Korea, I just don't know what he's talking about. So um, it's I think it's is it safe to say that today in terms of relations with South Korea and and the the less tension, I, I mean, the ability to cross the border or do trade deal. I mean, like no, nothing yet has changed at any rate. Correct? No, nothing. I mean, nothing has changed. And the one thing, though, that we are kind of seeing some whispers of is China saying, hey, you know, maybe we should lift those economic sanctions now. And and the, the, the fading away of this maximum pressure sanctions plan that Trump had imposed. Well, Trump said the sanctions are going to stay in place until there's evidence that they are uh, destroying their nukes. Right. Well, it's not like the U.S. does a lot of trade with North Korea. China does. And if China wants to ignore the sanctions, you know, they're the ones that matter to North Korea's economy. Right. 
So when do we know, when is this the, the process going to kick back in, talks resume? All right, so honestly, I have no idea. And here's the funny part. This is a great, co- a couple of my colleagues had a great story about Trump's uh, sense of time on these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask him or the administration and they say things like, oh, it'll happen soon, later, eventually. We'll see. Soon. We'll see what we'll happens. We'll see. There's no, there's no concrete time frame. Right. Yeah. None. So no idea. I don't know. Could be tomorrow. Could be a year from now. <laughs> Could be never. Uh, the we'll summit. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. The summit that never took place. All right. You're right on top of it. And how to see from Politico. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for Okay, having keep me. your eye on it. And we'll check back with you later. Sure. When we come back, Elise Foley joins us from HuffPost on latest on immigration this issues. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, it was a great show, but a day later, a lot of people are asking, what really happened? Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 13. Uh, Here we go. The Bill Press Show, coming at you from our studio in Washington, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And joining you across this great land of ours, coast to coast, with all the news of the day. Yes, still a lot of talk about the summit, where we're uh, looking past the flags and the ceremony and all the smiles and saying, okay, now what was really accomplished at that summit? Not a hell of a lot. It's pretty apparent. Primaries held yesterday all across the country um, in several different states where women candidates, particularly Democratic women candidates, did very, very well, uh, and where one big Trump critic, Republican Mark Sanford, down in South Carolina, was defeated in his primary by an out-and-out Trumper who had the support of Donald Trump against Republican Congressman Mark Sanford. Uh, Lots more to talk about, including... Paul Ryan has now scheduled a vote next uh, week on immigration issues um, in response to that almost successful attempt to to get a discharge position signed. Elise Foley covers those immigration issues at HuffPost, and she joins us in studio. Good morning. Nice to see you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. You can bring us up to date on all of that and what we can expect from that big vote next week. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Peter Ogburn here. A couple of other stories making news. Let's start with the breaking news. The World Cup for 2026. We now know where it will be played. FIFA Association members voted uh, this morning, and it will be hosted 
right here in North America. America, Mexico, and Canada will host the World Cup. Now, the last time I'm you- sorry we can't do that anymore because uh, <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> we're at war with Canada. Like that's <laughs> going to be a little tricky. That's going to uh, be a, yeah, a hard <laughs> needle to thread, I guess. The U.S. hosted the World Cup back in 1994. Mexico hosted a cup in 1986. Canada has never had any World Cup matches. So it's there's still a lot of details that need to be worked out, basically. There are a lot of stadiums that we've already proposed that we can use here in America. There are 23 of them total. 17 of them are ready to go already. They're good to go. The others just require some renovation. They proposed that the... Uh, it have been good stadiums in Canada, too, right? I don't know. That, that's, that, that, that's for all three countries. Yeah, Got, all three okay. countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Uh, and so they proposed having uh, the opener at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. They've talked about the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. There's been talk about the AT&T Stadium uh, where the Cowboys play in Texas and MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, and other cities, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Denver, a lot of other places. And our around. new stadium, which we're building here in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's one of the ones that are uh, on, on the list. So and what year is this? 2026. So it's oh well, Trump will be long gone. The Trump will be gone. I was yeah, about, so uh, you know, that our war will be over with Canada. Yeah, the <laughs> war will be over. <laughs> well, I should say this: we hope Trump will be gone by then. Who knows what could happen? Uh, by the way, speaking of Donald Trump, uh, he's I'm sure tired of winning. Yesterday, he well, this isn't exactly a win for him. AT and T will be allowed to move forward and merge with Time Warner. Now, this is something oh, no. that Donald Trump. Whoa fought against and he had the justice department file a lawsuit saying that this would violate antitrust laws and unfairly lead to higher prices for consumers yesterday a judge said no he disagrees with that and not only that he went took an extra step and said he highly encourages the department of justice to not appeal this this is not going to go anywhere this is perfectly legal it's Hmm. totally fine Fascinating, right? Like, that's a big blow for Trump because he's been uh, it, talking about this for a while. Yeah, it is. I must admit, I wasn't sure that that merger um, would happen. It's happening. $85.4 billion. Wow. And that's a other merger pending, too, isn't there? What am I thinking of? Anyhow, well, there you go. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump calling it a huge success, uh, the greatest show of all time. Uh, a lot of other people calling it a big nothing burger because actually the final communique didn't really promise uh, or deliver anything. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Wednesday. Here we go on Wednesday, June 13. Coming to you live coast to coast, it is the Bill Press Show, and it's good to have you part of the uh, program as we join you coast to coast online, actually around the globe online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV coast to coast and out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT listeners, wherever you happen to be um, in Chicago and surrounding area. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as I mentioned, with the news of the day on many fronts. Elise Foley joins us in studio from HuffPost on the latest on the uh, immigration front. So, Elise, there was this petition circulated 
by some Democrats, a lot of Democrats, I guess, and some Republicans uh, to get a vote on the Dreamers program. They needed 218 signatures. How close did they get? They got very, very close. So they got up to 216. They wanted to do it by the end of yesterday so that they could get a vote this month. They were not able to do that. Uh, Speaker Paul that Ryan, close yeah, they couldn't get. They two got more? every every Democrat. Uh, they just had uh, the the moderates leading this uh, so on the Henry Republican Cuellar side. Said that they on. were going to have. Yep, he said that he got assurances that they weren't going to have a wall. Of you know would put fight against a wall from yeah. other Democrats. Uh-huh. And um, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan convinced uh, other Republicans not to sign on by uh, creating this deal that will have two votes that um, I would guess will fail and then we won't do anything. So what's the, yeah. so the alternative to the discharge? And, and by the way, on that point, I just want to get your take on what several members have told us, members of Congress have told us here in the studio that if there were a standalone Dreamers bill on the floor of the Congress, it would pass. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say because I think that there would probably be a lot of Republicans who would push to add some sort of border something to it. But they thought that in this uh, discharge petition that there was a compromise <laughs> bill between Republicans and Democrats already that would be put forward, and they thought that that was something that would pass. And I do think that there uh, seems to be enough support. Definitely you'd get, you know, all if not or, you know, almost all, if not all Democrats. I think that, you know, a decent number of Republicans to vote for a DREAM Act type bill. The question is, um, you know, it has to actually get brought, brought for a vote for it first. Yeah. And clearly over the past, you know, many, many years, Republicans haven't allowed that. OK, so now Paul Ryan says, oh, don't sign this discharge position. I'll give you something. I'll give you a couple of bills, a couple of bills to vote on. Like, so what's going, what are we going to see next week? What what are so, the alternatives they will vote on? Yeah, so he said that there would be a vote. They tried to come to some sort of compromise deal between conservatives and the Freedom Caucus and also moderates. And they're just so, so far apart on so many immigration issues uh, that that didn't come together. But they agreed that they would have a vote, two votes, consider two bills. One of them is going to be at least something like this bill from um, Republican Bob Goodlatte. Uh, that bill is really, really extreme on the restrictionist side. They kind of frame it as a DACA bill, but it only has a small amount about Dreamers. It it continues kind of a DACA-like program. This is sort program. of a Freedom Caucus, very extreme. Very conservative. Right, very cuts conservative legal bill. immigration. Yeah. All sorts of, you know, different enforcement stuff. Which they don't have the votes for. It's not they don't pass. have the votes. It's not going to Wouldn't pass. pass the Senate. Okay. So what's, is there anything more acceptable? or Possibly. I mean, Republicans, the leadership is, uh, they're working on some sort of compromise bill. But the problem so is that still, that's on the Republican side, right? Yeah, so right. it has to pass probably with Republicans. And I don't know that they can do that. So Democrats are not involved. This is not another gang of eight. Or no, whatever. this is a Republican, you know, side only trying to find something that can pass with Republicans. Democrats leaders have already indicated that they're going to fight, you know, anything that's <laughs> uh, has all these anti-immigrant provisions in it. So I think that, you know, it's likely to just be kind of a show vote. Uh, so um, they'll have, uh, as you indicated, uh, two votes. Neither will pass. So they'll end up doing nothing. So these Republicans, these moderate Republicans, 
who were concerned about going into the midterms and doing nothing about the Dreamers, even though they control both houses of the Congress, will still have nothing to show, right? I mean, they can. I, I I don't know how it'll play exactly. They they can say like, look, we really fought for this. I'm sorry we yeah, weren't we able tried, to deliver but... it. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people want something actually done. They don't want just you know we we tried, and the fact that they came so so close, uh, I think especially for the people who didn't sign on, mm-hmm. that looks bad. You know, at least somebody like Jeff Denham or Carlos Cabrello can say we we tried really hard for you guys. Uh, you know, the people who can't sign on or didn't sign on can't really say that. Could it trigger yet another discharge position? Yeah, they they said that they you know they could try it again uh, next month. The question is, I mean, the later, the longer it goes, uh, the less momentum you have. The fact that it failed this time means, you know, would it fail next time? We do have this potential court decision coming up in Texas, uh, the states that have challenged DACA and are trying to block it. That court ruling, uh, you know, maybe could have some sort of effect if something happens that, you know, hurts the program. Maybe that would motivate people to move. But I think that uh, this is probably just going to work out like the Senate where they voted on some stuff. It all failed. And then they say, you know, say, OK, well, we're done for the year. We uh, can't pass it. Uh, so I guess this does show that Paul Ryan does have a little juice juice left after all. Yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, he's got, you know, also the people who are uh, likely to be the next speaker. Uh, the, the person, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I think that they were able to peel those people off and tell them you can get a vote. Uh, and then the, the other reality is that were this even to pass, the, were it to pass the House, which is unlikely, it would still have to pass the Senate and then Donald Trump would have to sign it. Yeah, and I, I mean, you, we saw this happen in February. Senators, a lot of senators, put in a very earnest effort to put a, together bipartisan bill, multiple bipartisan bills on this. Uh, you know, tried to sort of fit into Trump's parameters, and then he went on this huge, uh, you know, assault on those bills. Accused the senators, basically through the Department of Homeland Security and the White House, accused them basically of not caring about American lives. I mean, it was really extreme the way they went after the senators for these bills. So I, I just think the Trump is such a wild card on this. You know, even if they try and give him something he, based on what he says he wants, he could still go after them and try and kill it. Right. Uh, and he always keeps, comes back with insisting that whatever they, he won't do anything unless funding for the wall is included. Yeah, so. and I think one thing that uh, will be important here is that they, you know, Trump has said and officials from his administration have said that they consider part of the wall to be uh, things like closing what they call loopholes in terms of asylum and allowing kids into the U.S. And right now there's so much public attention on the fact that these family separations are happening. Mm -hmm. These kids are being split from their parents. Uh, You know, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, uh, made this decision this week that will hurt asylum seekers. So I just don't see a way that, you know, Trump won't push for some sort of asylum changes as part of this. And I don't see a way that Democrats would go along with it. Right. I mean, they have they have no good reason to, both on po- a policy level and also politically. They have, you know, a lot of people really outraged about these things. Well, I wanted to ask you about that next because this sort of got lost. Um, a lot got lost in the shadows of the summit this week. 
sure. um, other other news that that happened. And one of the one of the big stories certainly is Jeff Sessions and his big announcement on a change of policy. Um, you know that what happened with Obamacare was another story, but this one, change of policy on uh, on asylum. Uh, so first of all, just outline to us what did Sessions say? What's new about what Sessions said? Sure. So I I think first of all it, it's important to say Jeff Sessions uh, and any attorney general has this huge amount of power over immigration courts. They are not like other types of courts that are judicial branch. Uh, They're part of the executive branch. And Jeff Sessions can basically overturn any sort of precedent that's been created by the Board of Immigration Appeals. So they had this precedent from 2014 that basically made it easier to argue that somebody should get could get asylum based on uh, suffering domestic violence. Uh, that was a huge deal for a lot of women in Central America. What we're seeing more and more at the border uh, is people coming from Central America to escape violence, um, or at least saying that that's why they're coming versus people coming from, you know, a majority from Mexico a while back to look for jobs. So it was a huge, huge deal. Now Jeff Sessions is saying that generally uh, these types of domestic violence and gang violence are not grounds for asylum. And telling immigration judges, uh, you know, I was there when he gave a speech to them on Monday. He pretty much told them, like, remember, I'm the boss. Uh, I say this and you carry it out. So uh, they're being told that they can't give asylum uh, on grounds that they previously thought that they could. So um, if people come here with, I don't know if we still have that bite from Jeff Sessions. We played it yesterday, but let me know if we do. But um, so when people come here and they say they... They're fleeing gang violence at home or violence from some civil war or something, or domestic violence even, uh, um, before at least they could get a hearing here, right, and, and make their case in front of a judge? Yeah, so that's that's one of the big fears is that Sessions is kind of indicating that they shouldn't even get to that stage right. here, to let's, get the let's, case. Let's let him, here he is, part of the speech that you heard when you were there with him the other day. Saying a few simple words, claiming a fear of return, is now transforming a straightforward arrest for illegal entry and immediate return into a prolonged legal process where an alien may be released from custody into the United States and possibly never show up for an immigration hearing. An alien, uh, yeah, (laughs) to use the word. But so what he's saying is, yeah, this is terrible. I mean... How dare they, as far as he's concerned, it's just if they came north illegally, they go south illegally, no ifs, ands, or buts, and how dare they use the word asylum, right? Right, and and the administration has said that they think that uh, their people are coached to just say these magic words, I'm afraid, and then get a credible fear interview and get into the asylum process. It's really not that easy to get asylum uh, it's not even necessarily that easy to get to the fear interview uh, past that process. Uh, but what their administration wants to do is have Congress close the loopholes so that they can just turn people away and also do what they can, you know, through things like what Sessions is doing to make it so that they can just turn people away. And he he made pretty clear that the purpose of this, I mean, he said that the purpose is to be consistent and correspond with the law, but that, you know, another purpose is to keep people from coming. He said he thinks that these things he's doing will stop people from coming here to either illegally cross the border or to even just seek asylum in a way that he says is fraudulent. So 
there's a pretty clear aim here is keep, you know, we don't want you. Right. So so the policy is anybody who comes across the border illegal for whatever reason, for any reason whatsoever, they're all treated the same. They're all criminals. They all go back. Yeah, kind of. And, and it's not just crossed illegally. It's people people come to the ports of entry where, you know, you can go across oh, in your right. car or walk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you show your passport, all of that and say, I'm afraid I would like to seek asylum. And then they go through this process. Uh, they don't want those people to come. They've they've said, you know, people should stay in Mexico if they have a credible asylum claim. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, the message is that our borders are closed. <laughs> and I uh, think you uh, answered this when you when you started. But I just want to confirm. And this is a power that the attorney general has. Uh, and he can exercise without Congress getting in the way? Yeah, so, I mean, there I is Congress an ability. Congress could pass a bill, maybe. Congress could intervene in some way and pass some sort of law. Uh, one thing people would like, some people would like, is for Congress to just pass a law taking immigration courts out of the Department of Justice. I mean, it is kind of weird to have the law, a law enforcement agency functionally uh, policing ju- the judicial. Mm-hmm. Um but this could be appealed. Uh, somebody could appeal it to a federal appeals court and it could go, you know, all the way to the Supreme Court. But for the most part, attorneys general can have this massive amount of power over immigration courts and they can, you know, say, no, I just don't think that this is right, overturn things. And this has an effect on, you know, this is like specific people's cases, too. He can say, like, this specific person now needs to be shouldn't get asylum. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. You know what the irony here, um, part partially is there's a lot of irony here, but is that Jeff Sessions is totally on immigration, the hard ass that uh, Donald Trump wants, and yet he's still the person that Donald Trump attacks, the cabinet, the one cabinet member that he attacks and the most. Yeah, I mean, he's really carrying out everything that he can in terms of Trump's agenda totally. on immigration. Totally. Really yeah. zealously. I mean, not not with any sort of like, well, I'm just following orders. He wants to do it. I, I mean, I'm not in his head. <laughs> he seems to really want to do it. He's really going after uh, immigrants, both uh, asylum seekers coming legally and people crossing illegally. No, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that Jeff Sessions loves what he's doing in terms of yeah, I mean, that's always do. been my sense is like, why doesn't he leave? Well, he's getting to do all these policies that he's been wanting, you know, pushing for years. Right. No, he loves, I mean, he. I think he thrives on this immigration stuff. He thrives on cracking down on the drug law and the marijuana. He thrives on having longer sentences for people and keeping people with nonviolent drug crimes in prison. I mean, all that kind of stuff. You're right. In every respect, it's the Donald Trump agenda, except for... Um, when it comes to recusing himself on the Russian investigation. Yeah, it's kind of this one thing that he did that seems to be, uh, you know, and, and it's the one thing that affects, you know, Trump personally, right? So he cares more about that than right. the, the part that's his policy agenda. Is there any talk anymore of comprehensive immigration reform? Well, uh, it's been a long time since we've heard that phrase, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting about what Republicans, uh, conservative Republicans are pushing is they sort of want this kind of pretty comprehensive immigration reform that 
is only on the kind of restrictionist side and the enforcement side, but they want to do this massive undertaking that, you know, they all said was a bad idea several years ago, uh, that doing it in a comprehensive way, I mean. Uh, but no, I mean, in terms of a broader path to citizenship for a broader um, segment of the undocumented population, it's just not something that I think would happen under a Republican president now. Uh, there was a push to have it happen under George W. Bush, but didn't happen. And I think now under Trump, it's just not going to. Uh, and it's pretty clear that on this uh, area th that nothing's going to happen this year. I mean, I, I think so. Every time in the past, I've been covering this for eight years. Every time in the past I've thought something might happen, I've been wrong. So at this point, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> making any predictions that anything will happen. I think it's an election year. It's a time when the part, the, even just within the Republican Party, they're so fractured on this. Democrats have no real reason to go along with them when they think they might have more incentive in the future. I Yeah, I just don't see it. I, I could see that there's almost... Uh, an incentive for them not to do anything, then they could still just continue to talk tough, yeah. right, about the the whole immigration. The fact that they haven't done anything sort of gets lost in their in their tough talk. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Um, in in terms of what is the reality on the ground today, in terms of how serious the problem of people coming here, how many people are coming across the border? Are the numbers up or down? The number uh, has been climbing a little bit. Um, it's a little bit, uh, I would say, a little disingenuous or at least misleading uh, the way the administration talks about it. The numbers, they always are comparing them. They compare them to the same month the year before. You have to remember that in 2017, the numbers were very, very low, um, historically low, which they bragged about at the time. Now we're seeing numbers that are more comparable to what we've seen in the past. Um, they're going up. They uh, they usually go up in the spring months, so they've been going up now. As it gets a little bit warmer, it's a little easier to make the journey. Um, and but they are not anywhere near you know the the highest levels that we've seen in the U.S. Um, they're it's kind of a, a strange thing because administrations both you know tried to take credit of like look we we made this all better, and then simultaneously say that things are totally out of control by including people who, you know, they, they always include this. This is not like a, a fake way to do it, but you, some of these apprehensions are people who um, came through ports of entry. Uh, so it's it's not really, according to people who are experts, the crisis that they make it out to be. Whatever happened to the National Guard? I mean, this was not that long ago. A huge deal. Donald Trump was making this huge deal about asking all the every governor, southern state governors for sure, border to send national guard to the border. Maybe got into this yeah. uh, to this pissing contest with Jerry Brown over. Jerry said, "Okay, I'll send some guards, but they're not going to do they're not going to do work at the border. They can do backup work or whatever." Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump attacked him, saying, "You're you know pro-immigrant, anti-America, or something." But uh, that, that whole issue kind of that that fight sort of disappeared. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that are there National the Guard reason, troops at the border now? I believe that they're still there. I think one of the the issues is that they never were going to be able to do any sort of immigration. No, no, arrests. they're not trained for that. They're not. No, that's not. I mean, that is not their role. Um, right. But they. Uh, so when they actually got into the details of what they'd be doing, all of them. Um, were supposed to be doing things that were backup stuff, like 
things like repairing roads, even, um, you know, watching surveillance cameras, repairing vehicles. It's it was supposed to all be kind of behind the scenes stuff. I believe that they're still there, but you're not seeing a big impact on it because it was never going to be what you know, Trump probably imagined it to be, which is right. a bunch of National Guard oh, people yeah. patrolling the border. No, you can see what he what he envisioned was like a human wall, right, yeah. of National Guard troops, the entire length of the wall or something standing there with their weapons, right, yeah. to prevent anybody from coming across. Yeah, I mean, they just, that was never actually going to be what they would do because that's not what they can do. Is any construction underway for the wall? Well, they've they've worked on the prototypes. They are, I believe, still in the stage of picking who will be when and, you know, build the wall, uh, which is going to be partially a fence. <laughs> I object to when people just all of a sudden call things that they call a fence yeah, yeah. a wall now because of Trump. Um but I, they need some money to do it. They, I believe, have some money. I think that they will. They are doing repairs on pieces of fence that they now call wall, uh, and they probably will build some. But they, they don't have enough of what they want to build more. And there's still the question is an unresolved questions unresolved about, uh, from what I've seen from photographs and everything, there are portions of the border that go like through wetlands or go through private property, go through area the United States doesn't own. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're technically by law. You can't build a wall. You can't build a wall across a wetland. Yeah, they're by law, they're supposed to have, a, you know, there was already an order to have a border fence. There's a reason that they haven't achieved that in the, I believe it's been since 2006, maybe, that that law passed the Secure Fencing Act. Um, and there's a reason that they haven't been able to pull off a huge amount of fencing. Well, they have a pretty huge amount of fencing, but as much, um, which is because of all these little externalities of where it goes through. Um, and the the administration has acknowledged that the wall is not going to be from sea to shining sea, mm. but uh, there are places they want it that will be really hard to pull off private okay. land. Wetlands, things like that. All right, so back to where we started. This vote on, in the House will take place when? They said next week. So next week. TBD on exactly when next week. All right. Well, we know it's not Monday because they don't work on Mondays, and it's not Friday because they don't work on Fridays. <laughs> so, and Tuesday they don't get here until about six o'clock or so. So probably Wednesday or Thursday is a good guess. Yeah, I think that that would be fair to guess. They still have to actually write the bill. Yeah, they have to write the bill between now and then. Yeah. Maybe they'll ask Democrats for their thoughts. I kind of doubt it. But we'll see. You can bet that they won't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, what an interesting beat. Never stops, never stops. So uh, on HuffPost, HuffPost.com, Elise Foley on politics and immigration issues. Thanks, Elise, for coming in. Thank you. Yes. President is back at the White House. Hope he gets a big nap in today, um, although he probably had a chance. No, he didn't nap much on Air Force One because he was busy tweeting. Jordan Fabian. Tell us all about what we can expect from the White House in the next couple of days and his take on what was accomplished in Singapore. Jordan Fabian from The Hill. When we come right back on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 13. Hey, hello, everybody. Thanks for coming back here. Thanks for being with us. As we wrap up here with a very busy, busy news day, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. 
Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. They are right in the middle of this whole battle over tariffs. Uh, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing 1.2 million active and retired members. They were all for the tariffs, didn't think they should go on against uh, Canada uh, because the United Steelworkers have a lot of members in Canada. Uh, but anyhow, the president um, didn't listen to them. Didn't listen to other people on that issue. Uh, check out their website for more about that issue at usw.org. Uh, the president out of the country in Singapore coming home, which means um, White House reporters could just um, have a good time yesterday. Didn't have to worry about even going <laughs> showing up to work. And uh, namely, uh, Jordan Fabian from the Hill. We know where he was yesterday. Look at that tan. That's not a Singapore tan. <laughs> That's a Washington Caps fan, all caps. It was a big party yesterday, huh? It was pretty fantastic. You were right huge. in the middle of yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, you went down to it? Oh, yeah. What I was a mob a, scene. It was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. It was so cool. Ben Camazar yeah. did a tweet yesterday saying, ratting on Jordan. Yeah, oh, my nice. spot. <laughs> Billing his cover <laughs> said, great. you won't find him at the office today. I still think the most remarkable but, thing about the parade was zero arrests, not one arrest. Yes, and, and also after the... They won game five, no arrests. No arrests. No. Yeah. No. Nothing burned. Mm. Nobody tore any cars up. So it's Washington. Yeah. yeah. So where were you? Were you on the mall or along the parade route or both? Or what? I was on Constitution Avenue for the parade, yeah. uh, right across the street from the archives. So I had a prime spot to see uh, the Stanley Cup come down the street. And, uh, and then we made our way over to the mall to see the uh, the celebration this party. It was a huge so. crowd, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was an inaugural-sized crowd. <laughs> I keep that. thinking no. of myself. <laughs> Maybe even bigger than <laughs> certain inaugurations. Period. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking, like, God – once Alexander Ovechkin stops drinking, because it's been like six days he's been drunk, uh, he's going to have the world's worst hangover. Then I go, oh, you know, he's Russian. He can he can handle this. Oh, yeah. He can handle this. It's it's Tuesday for him. Right. Yeah. This is nothing. <laughs> uh, so which red jersey did you wear? Did you Or what number were you? Or, or what name I, did you I have? I have my Ovechkin, uh, Ovechkin assistant captain jersey on. So I, I had that for 10 years. And uh Never been prouder to wear it than yesterday. It was just, uh, it was unbelievable. I mentioned earlier, I, was, I just went downtown yesterday evening, and I mean, it, that, that after even after the parade, downtown was just full of red, yeah. full of red. It's a sea of red. You know, this city has wanted the metro and everything. The yeah. city has wanted a winner for so long. Uh, there's a lot of people like me who went to their first Caps game when they were five or six years old who've been wanting this their whole lives. So I think everyone just felt that energy and was out there. And, you know, like Peter said, no arrests. People were just in a good oh, mood. Yeah, they were happy. They wanted to have a good time, and it, it was just uh, an, an unforgettable experience. And even the scene when they were in Vegas, you know, F Street downtown, right? The big with Mont, Mont, big Teldotrons or whatever, the video screens outside, and that was a great peaceful street party. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Never seen anything like it in D.C. Right. Even uh, even maybe more fun than the uh, Singapore summit. So I know you haven't had a chance. The president hasn't come back, but you uh, saw his news conference uh, over there. For at least at this level, for this president, for Donald Trump, this was a uh, this was a big deal and a big win for him, wasn't it? Politically, yes, I think he'll get a boost from the summit. Uh, you know, he was he, he first Just of all he had the meeting met, right, and and it went off. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. that was in doubt. I think until they stepped across that red carpet and shook hands with one another. So the fact that it happened, yes, is a, is a boost for him. But it's beyond the 
you know, the uh, show craft, the stagecraft, excuse me, the substance is questionable of what the president got out of this meeting. He's giving assurances that the U.S. is going to discontinue these military exercises with South Korea, which have been a staple of U.S. military policy for decades in exchange for a piece of paper that really doesn't say much about uh, when or how North Korea is going to get rid of its nuclear weapons. So that is a point of major concern uh, for a lot of people here in Washington. Right. I mean, it's interesting that yesterday it was sort of the euphoria of this meeting and, uh, you know, the handshake and the smiles and uh, and everything kind of went off without without um, a hitch. And today, <laughs> everybody's going, okay, now let's look back and say, what really happened, right? Right. And in typical... You know, Trumpian fashion. You know, tweets this morning. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. made the claim that you know, quote, there is no longer a nuclear threat from North yeah. Korea. Right. You know, I, I missed the part where North Korea overnight got rid of its nuclear weapons. Um, so there's a lot of overselling uh, what this produced, and not to diminish the moment of him meeting with the leader of North Korea. You know, something that I don't think anyone would have thought possible even a few months ago. Uh, but that being said, you know, again. The spin coming out of this meeting is is uh, far beyond what was actually accomplished. Right, uh, and now, uh, the, the, to be accomplished yet, right, is when are they going to tell us how many weapons they have? When are we going to go get in there and be able to see what kind of weapons, what facilities they have? When are they going to start getting rid of their centrifuges, stop producing nuclear weapons material? When are they going to start, if ever, right? dismantling the ones that they've got, no more missile tests. All those questions are unresolved at this point. It, and we don't even know when that process toward redefining or answering those questions is going to start, right? Right. Or, it, it, or who's in charge. What that document boiled down to was a promise to have more talks. And so that could lead who knows where. I'll say this. The United States has gotten this kind of assurance from North Korea before with regard to its nuclear weapons, with the six-party talks under President Bush, with the agreed framework under President Clinton, and we all know where we ended up now, which is North Korea that has anywhere between 20 to 60 nuclear weapons. So mm-hmm. what is different this time is a que- is a question a lot of people are asking. Right. Um, it's uh, Front page of the New York Times this morning, I mentioned a couple of times, references those three times that you did under the grandfather of Kim Jong-un, under his father... Each time they promised to stop any activity toward building nuclear weapons. Nothing exactly. Happened. And now we see in, in 2018, this week, the, the line in the final communique is, Chairman Kim Jong-un reaffirmed his firm and unwavering commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula as if this is nothing new. This is just something that they've always agreed to. Well... Yeah, they agreed to it, but they never follow through with, right? Right. So this fr- phrase, reaffirm, is a very interesting... And, and, and I want to talk about that that word. Uh, there's another word in there that has been a major source of disagreement, which is the term denuclearization, denuclearization. itself. Yeah. The United States and North Korea have completely different definitions of this, and it's not clear whether that that divide has been bridged. You know, the United States want... You know what is called complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization. So that means you know destroying nuclear facilities, shipping out weapons, getting rid of nuclear material, and allowing inspectors in to make sure 
that it all happened. Uh, North Korea is talking about something where they maybe take some steps toward denuclearization, maybe reduce the stockpile, maybe uh, a, a moratorium on testing in exchange for the United States getting rid of its nuclear umbrella that's protecting South Korea and Japan, which is obviously something those two countries don't want. Yeah, and which is something that probably we won't agree with. Maybe, but you know, the president, the fact that he decided to say he wants to stop these joint military exercises has to be concerning for those U.S. allies in the Pacific. Uh, it, it has been reported, um, and have you any confirmation or whatever, that, that Donald Trump made this, surprised the hell out of everybody when he said no more new military exercises, that this is not something the Pentagon had agreed to ahead of time, nor South Korea, nor Japan. or. That's right. That's right. He, he surprised a lot of people. And, and Defense Secretary Mattis had made comments leading up to the talks that, that strongly suggested that this issue of the U.S. military presence in South Korea, excuse me, not mm-hmm. being um, not being on the table, and, and lo and behold, it was, and that's sort of how Trump operates. He he does his own thing. He doesn't necessarily <laughs> listen to the people around him. So, so, so certainly we've learned that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, you know, a- anyone who made that assurance, I think, is looking uh, not so great today. Um, uh, and. Um, the the but the the whole show you know, the walking around showing uh showing Kim Jong Un the uh the the beast yeah and how soon are we going to see Kim Jong Un at the White House we don't know how soon but the uh, the two leaders have said they want to meet at the White House uh, the president extended that invitation personally to him during that document signing I mean, you know, so Kim Jong Un would jump at that in a in a second. But, sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Bill, your question really points to something that, uh, in a reality here, that while this uh, meeting might be a, a political victory for Trump, I- at least in the near term, it's a tremendous victory for Kim Jong un in North Huge. Korea. Huge. You Probably. know how long they've wanted this meeting, they've yeah. wanted it for years. Yeah. So uh, the fact that they got it is a win in and of itself for Kim Jong un. I, I know. Jay Tapper said this on CNN. I keep thinking about it, but. It is true that Kim, that Donald Trump can say, you know, I'm the first American president. No other president did this. I, was, I met with the president, with the head of North Korea. But uh, Jake Tapper said it's not that no other president could do it. No other president wanted to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, at least it may be true that, that, that no other president wanted to because they knew, like, who they were and they know they had never, never really promised anything and right. they hadn't delivered anything and it wasn't going to give them that propaganda benefit until they got something out of it. Yeah, and you know... So there has been the criticism that Donald Trump has given already a lot away, A, by meeting, and B, by this military exercises without getting anything in return. And C, you could throw the White House in there, too. Yeah, Yeah. I know. And I think that you you hit it right there. I mean, and to play devil's advocate on on all of this, the the situation regarding North Korea's nuclear weapons has grown a lot more dire in, in the past 10, 15, 20 years. So... You might argue that it makes sense now for the president to meet with them to try to hammer out something on a higher level. But then the bigger question is, what did you get in return? And again, we see this piece of paper they're coming out of the meeting with, and it doesn't seem to be worth much. Mm-hmm. By the way, on this, on, on the new conversations that you've had, about, that you're having about like this is just the first step. Where there going to be more of these? We don't really. There aren't a lot of concrete things. I want to go back to a tweet that Trump put out this morning. Just landed. 
A long trip, but everybody can feel much safer now than the day that I took office. There is no longer nuclear threat from North Korea. Yeah, that's... Meeting with Kim Jong-un was an interesting and very positive experience. North Korea has great potential for the future. And so in his mind, this is like a one-and-done thing. They could have the best hotels in the world. They could. They could. <laughs> they could. Did you guys hear about that, that video they showed? Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, no, yeah. talk a little bit about it. It's from what we've heard. We haven't seen it, but... Right. So they're sort of a superheroes, right? Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Yeah. There were some people, I was talking to some uh, you know, folks over there in Singapore, and some people were wondering whether that was put together by North Korea or the United States because it was just so preposterous and uh, propagandish. Um, and showed North Korea with you know with this huge with beach resorts. Beach yeah. resorts and skyscrapers <coughs> and, yeah. The... I have to say... There are a lot of things about this meeting that bother me. That is exactly what Kim Jong-un would respond to, I think. I'm not saying it was a good idea or a bad idea, but in terms of trying to... A little pumpy, pumpy video, puffy, puffy video like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. 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 So also, I think he responded to the, in very much the way that Donald Trump does, the attention, the spotlight. Yeah. The praise. The yes. praise. Yeah. 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 Right. And, and certainly he goes home with a huge propaganda victory. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, he could show the video of the president smiling as as he shakes hands with him, uh, you know, calling him all kinds of nice things. I mean, even just splicing together the tweets and putting them into a montage would, would be a huge boost for him in, uh, domestically. Or, or, or as many people point out, just that stage set with the North Korean flag and the American flag right, right. side by side. Right? Yes. Many experienced diplomat said it really shook them to see that, right, that we've elevated North Korea and Kim Jong-un to that status, right? Yeah. And particularly coming out of, so let's talk about the other international summit that kind of got lost in the in the glow of Singapore, which is the, the G7, which Donald Trump blew up in several ways before he got there. Number one, on the tariffs, and number two, on inviting Russia back in, mm. wanting to invite Russia back, and then number three, insulting Trudeau on the way out, uh, and continues his insults of Trudeau from from Singapore. Is this repairable, or does Donald Trump even care? It is repairable in the sense that the trading relationships between all those countries are so intertwined now, especially with Canada, that uh, you know I, I, it's hard to break. Completely. It's hard to break apart. I mean, yeah. really. It, you know, U.S. and Canada are each other's you know, biggest training partners. It's how to untangle that relationship, even though the the relationship between the leaders is so bad right now. Uh, I don't see how you do it. That being said, it's not a good situation for for <laughs> for this relationship. And you contrast the the rhetoric that the president was using uh, on Kim Jong Un to what he was uh, saying about Justin Trudeau and. Emmanuel Macron, and it's it's uh, pretty mind-boggling, right? And and what is the argument on the, if you've had a chance to talk to them about um, bringing Russia back in when Russia was thrown out four years ago for invading Crimea? They haven't apologized. They haven't left Crimea. They have now annexed Crimea to Russia. Uh, not to mention ming- meddling in the. 2016 election, probably meddling in this one, troops in Syria, poisoning diplomats on... I mean, you could go down the list of the things that Russia has done, and now Donald Trump said, no, let's bring him back in. Right. And I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Vladimir Putin could be more thrilled about hearing that, but, you know, I was talking to a lot of folks in the uh, in the national security 
community and some uh, some diplomats last at the end of last week about this uh, remark, and and what they said is, you know, not only and they were, they were explaining why it would it would anger the allies so much, and and it's not only that they the reasons Russia was thrown out. But it's also the fact that Russia was invited in almost as a, you know, in their view, a favor to them. Uh, their their economy, I think, is 11th or 12th in the world by GDP. So it's not like they're in this, you know, 7th or 8th highest, uh, most powerful economies of the world, which is the reason uh, for that group's existence. So they were almost invited in as a favor, you know, to boost their geopolitical status. And once they angered all these European allies in the United States over what they did in Crimea and, and Syria and elsewhere... Uh, their, their view is there's absolutely 100% no reason for them to be in the part of that group. And I, I don't know how it works in the G7. I guess they all have to agree, don't they? I mean, Donald Trump cannot unilaterally invite Putin back in. Right, I, yeah, I, right. I would think. Yeah. I would hope not. Yeah, right. <laughs> or God, no, he'll bring, Plus he'll bring Kim Jong-un in. Exactly. Plus it's also a question of does Russia even want to be a part of that group anymore? I mean, Vladimir Putin is so well, disdainful yeah. of Western institutions. I mean, would he even, I mean, the ultimate humiliation would be for them to be invited back into the group of Vladimir Putin to say uh, thanks, but no thanks. Right. Um, a couple oh, of man. other. That would be awful. A <laughs> uh, couple of other issues that, uh, have popped up about the White House this week in Donald Trump's absence. Uh, some members of the White House staff filed their financial reports, including uh, Javanka. Uh, and uh, we've learned that, that uh, Ivanka and Jared last year made about $82.5 million from their various investments, including the Trump International Hotel uh, here in Washington. Is all that uh, hunky-dory under uh, uh, White House ethics rules? Well, uh, you know, if you hear it from them, it is. But, uh, you know, this is, again, you know, we've been talking about this since the inauguration. You know, no president or or staff member like this has ever, A, had these kind of financial entanglements, but then, B, refused to divest in them and make themselves free and clear of any potential conflicts of interest. And and they've decided not to do that. Now we're seeing on a year-to-year basis, how that plays out, which is they have these the investments first, that are making the money, and, yeah. and when you, they're talking to you know people from foreign countries who want to invest in Trump properties, or you know foreign governments who are coming here to host events at the Trump Hotel, uh, you always remember that the people who are profiting from this are sitting in the White House right now. Yeah, I mean, the first year, first year, eighty-two and a half million dollars. Yeah. And we don't we don't have any idea what Donald Trump made in that year from his private proper from his private businesses and properties. Right. Uh, probably, I would think a bigger slice than Ivanka and Jared did. One would think, just given where the name you know who who the head of the the empire is right now. Uh, and the other thing that continues to plague the White House, and you've written about this, uh, they're trying to get rid of the leaks, but the leaks don't stop. Do they? No, and uh, you know they, they, there have been some communication staffers who've been pushed out in, in the last week, week, week or two. Yeah, the latest um, this week was Stephen Chung. Yeah. Chung. Yeah, um, and, and so I, I think you'll see more of that pushing out sort of junior mid-level communications people. They've shrunk the size of meetings. They've been doing device checks, all these things, but the leaks continue, and the reason is. You know, I've reported on this for for a long time. I've been the recipients of some leaks myself. The, the The reason this happens is because the environment inside that building is toxic, to put it lightly. I mean, people 
uh, don't like each other. There are a lot of people there who don't think highly of the president, but for some reason are working in the the White House and the administration. And that kind of environment, you're going to have leaks uh, to either you know, the leakers want to get a step up on their colleagues or, or push them down, cut their throats, or they want to make the president look bad. There's all kinds of reasons that people would leak. leak. And, and the, the White House has tried to take all kinds of measures to make it stop, but it's not going to stop until the culture changes. And w- so when Stephen Chung leaves, does that indicate that they thought he was a leaker, therefore they're firing him? It was just it was just a one-liner, you know, that Stephen right. Chung is no- Same thing with Kelly Sadler. The, who did the famous McCain a slap uh, when she leaves. It was just a one-liner. She's no longer employed here. I'll say this. you, you uh, People in that building get slapped with the label leaker, whether they've leaked or not a lot of the time. And and because they know it's a such a, uh, the, you know, they know how much the president hates leaks. And so it's a very you know, powerful way to try to oh, got it. Yeah. gut a colleague, right? So... Um, you know, I, I'm not going to speak to. I don't. I don't want to speak to Stephen and like Chung and like what he's done. But uh, you know, th- people are getting pushed out regardless of whether they've leaked by being labeled a leaker. If that makes sense, it, it's it's yeah. a it's an yeah. odd situation. But that's that's what's happening. I, I'm curious. So, given how you say you, you're, you're right, they do these device checks and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I I understand they'll have. Uh, even a couple of guys who roam the White House and will come into a, an office or a building and they can sort of tell if you've got a device that you should have checked in and you didn't. I mean, it's pretty... I find that a very unsettling work environment, to say the least. So are these leakers, like, leaking, I'm just curious, like, at, uh, from home at night or is that actually <laughs> right from the White House? I mean, uh, I think it's probably both. I think it's both. Boy. Yeah. Taking their chances on doing it on the job. Yeah. Yeah, you would think but it's, so. it's sort of like that's what this town is built on. Like it or not, I mean, I know that Donald Trump sort of was wanted to change things and wanted to change the the culture, but like that's such a part of how news gets reported here in D.C. Like, ain't gonna change that. Keep taking a deep throat in the garage, yeah. right? right. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll draw a distinction though between uh, some of the, the the leaks here because it, we're, we're, there's the leaks that are kind of normal. Washington leaks, like sure. Peter was talking about, which is, oh, let's leak this policy proposal, or or uh, let's say there's yeah. a, you know yeah. someone's really was a whistleblower and doesn't like what's going on. You know, we're seeing that a lot with Scott Pruitt. Um, that'll th- those are one kind of leak. The other kind of leak, which I think is kind of a uniquely Trump phenomena, are the the staff on staff leaks, the, the personal mm-hmm. vindictive you know rivalry right. leaks that uh, are really sort of meant to trash somebody's reputation. Um, You know, the Kelly Sadler leak, we broke that story, and I would even put that in the second category of, I I talked to people in the Obama administration and people who served in the Bush administration, and they were just blown away. I mean, they could not think of another kind of leak like that that happened in, in their time. In, in a staff meeting and, and a staffer said something and then people immediately yes. pointed it out. i got to ask you about this. Not a lot of time left, but the big issue last week uh, with uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders is when it came out in the letter from two Trump attorneys to Robert Mueller that Donald Trump had in fact dictated the memo about what happened at that uh, Trump Tower meeting. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders had flatly said in the briefing, he did not dictate that memo. 
And I know you tried and others tried to get her to answer that she had not to respond. Why Why did you say that when it wasn't true? She wouldn't answer, would she? No, she wouldn't. And the, the lack of answer was one thing. But then the other thing that really struck me was that she didn't even try to defend herself by saying, I'm only as good as the information I'm getting, and sometimes the information's not up to date, blah, blah, blah. We've heard that, her say that before. She didn't even try that this time, and, and to me, that's not you're, you're not defending your credibility at that point, and, and when you've reached that point, it's a problem for the White House press secretary. Right. So for a year, they've been in denial about Donald Trump himself having anything to do with that, uh, the adoption memo, so-called, right? Yes. And it turns out that was all his doing. Apparently it was. Yeah. Oh, yes. man. Well, Jordan, back to work today. Um, we'll see what the, what time. I hope the president gets a couple of hours sleep anyhow before he gets back to work. Yeah, one enough. <laughs> <laughs> for your sake as well as his. Uh, thanks for your good work. Thanks for coming in. It's The Hill, thehill.com. Uh, check it out and follow Jordan Fabian and all of our good friends there. Have a good day, folks, and come this back and see us tomorrow. the Bill Press Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.